0: Blessed is the man Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked Nor stands in the way Of sinners Nor sits in the seat of scoffers Therein day and night And he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of living water That yields its fruit in its own season And its leaves shall not ever In all that he does, but the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will Like a tree Planted by the streams Of living water That yields its fruit In its own season And its leaf shall not Ever win In all that he does In all that he does in all that he does.
1: Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The message is entitled, Chosen by the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we open the word today, would you quicken it by your Holy Spirit? Would you cut out every distraction from our heart, from our mind, that we could hear and understand that you, almighty God, are real? And that we face the day of judgment in America that our economy is crashing, that our dollar is becoming worthless. Lord, we face judgment, not just at the great day of judgment, we face it now in America. Lord, prepare our hearts. Give us a firm place to stand. Choose us, almighty God, in your love and your grace. I pray in your holy name. Amen. We Americans have always looked forward to Thanksgiving. In fact, it's my favorite holiday. I would rather have Thanksgiving than Christmas because it's not commercialized. Thanksgiving is that time when our families just come together. Now, we've been destroyed by the television and we've been destroyed by the foolishness that goes on. If you want a very, very fine Thanksgiving, just turn the television off for the whole day and talk to one another. It's amazing what happens when we just talk to each other. To me, Thanksgiving is about talking to each other and fellowshipping together and cooking the food and cleaning up and playing some games and just being family together. America needs that. Now, another key part of America has always been to be chosen. And all of us as Americans believe that we've been chosen. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. If you're in America, you are blessed. It is still the freest country in the world. We are still blessed beyond measure. It's shocking to me to begin to look at the statistics, however, of what's happening, that one out of four Americans earns $10 or less an hour. Now, it doesn't feel like that in Washington, D.C., because we're close to the pig trough, where the money's doled out. And so the lifestyle of Washington is much different than the lifestyle of the Rust Belt or many parts of America. Jobs are still much easier to find in the metro area than they are, say, in Cleveland or Detroit or other parts of the country because we've shipped our manufacturing to China. Our economy is being destroyed. I think the good times are almost over. For many in America, the good times are over. And grinding poverty is looming in many families. And I look at that and say, but we were chosen by God. We were chosen to be a light on the hill. We were chosen to be the new Atlantis, a place of prosperity and freedom. I know God has used America mightily to send missionaries to many different parts of the world. America has helped more people than any other nation that has ever existed on the face of the earth. We've poured out our hearts for people in tragedy. But over all of this is coming the dark shadow of socialism that gives me great concern. But still, I recognize what's happening the one world government is beginning to emerge. And with the emergence of the one world government, the beast power is supported by what is called Babylon. I believe America is Babylon. And it is the military might of Babylon that enforces the one world government. All of the key pieces are now in place. So as I said, look at this whole spread, I want to come back and talk about you and me. I want to talk about what do we do and where do we stand. The book of Ephesians teaches us how to be church. And the day is soon coming when if you're not a part of church, your whole support system will be utterly destroyed. The church is that one central place where the focus of God is. It is the apple of God's eye. Now, I grant you, the church is apostate in many ways. There is much wrong with the American church. It's filled with foolishness, with worldly sound and fury. It's filled with entertainment. It's filled with darkness, but it is still the apple of God's eye. And God is about to iron the wrinkles out of His church And the way he does that historically is with persecution. And those who are not real Christians flee the body of Christ. We've seen that in China. We've seen that in many different parts of the world. Don't believe for a moment that America is going to escape the crushing persecution that every other nation of the world has suffered. That persecution is coming here. Now, an interesting thing happened in China. Many years ago, the pastors were teaching that before the communist government would come in and take over, they believed that that was the one world government coming. They taught that the church would be raptured and the church would not suffer persecution. Then the communist government came in and began to destroy the churches. Some of those churches gathered together, and when the pastor came in, they confronted him. And they said, why did you lie to us? And they actually beat pastors and drove them out of the churches because the pastors had lied to them. I don't want you to ever come in here and decide to beat me up because I've lied to you. I'd rather have you mad today than mad later. So the truth is, we're not going to be raptured out of here. When Jesus comes, every eye will see him. There will be no secret coming of Jesus. There will be no second chance. We either get ready now and walk with Jesus, or we will not ever walk with Jesus. The church is the place where the blessings of God are poured out. It's the place where we're encouraged to walk righteous before Him. It's the place where brothers and sisters come and put their arms around each other and begin to help one another when a family is down. Now, I know this is very old-fashioned. I came from a very old-fashioned church when I was a child. When there was a problem in the church, the church came together and we solved the problem. I'll never forget one dear elderly woman. She came to church one week, and she just said to one of the sisters, I couldn't bathe this morning. Why? My pump my pump won't work on my well, and I don't have the money to repair it, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, that sister slipped out and made her way to my dad, who was the head elder of the church. And he was preaching that morning. And after the service, he said to to my brothers, we have a job this afternoon. Let's load up. Well, we had no idea what he was talking about, but we loaded up and we headed for Mrs. Goodman's house. And dad had everything he needed to pull that well apart, repair the pump. And Mrs. Goodman had water that night. That's how the church is supposed to operate. When one part of the body finds out that another part of the body is hurting, the church gathers around that one and begins to flow into their life. Now, we don't do that today. Everybody whips out their plastic and takes care of it. Well, the day's coming when that plastic won't work anymore. I'm actually looking forward to that. I'm tired of plastic Christians. I want real Christians. I want men and women who will lay down their lives for each other. That's what the church is. That's what we're called to be. Now that's going to be more difficult for us as a church because we're scattered all over the D.C. area. That's what cars are for. That's what cell phones are for. To talk to one another and to reach out to one another. To minister to one another. Today in the passage that we're looking at in the book of Ephesians, we open in the first chapter. And I want to go back now and pick up something that I intentionally sidestepped last time because we did not have time. But in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, For he chose us. You are not an afterthought. I want every one of you to recognize in your heart, you are a chosen one. You may be a rebellious chosen one, but you are a chosen one. You are special in the eyes of God. He decided to choose you before the creation of the world. This is a God who operates a universe that is magnificent. It is huge. And he already had you on the planning books. He knew who your mama would be. He knew who your daddy would be. He knew what sin would come in and influence your being born. He knew all of that in advance. He chose you. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Again, the word holy in the Hebrew or in the Greek means blameless. But it also means awful dread. If you have holiness without awful dread, you don't have the real deal. What do I mean by by awful dread? When you have holiness and you go somewhere, they're going to invite you to plunge into the dissipation of the world. And when you say no, watch the awful dread emerge when you don't engage in gossip at work, when you don't agree to lying and dishonesty at work. One of you recently told me you had to go to your boss and confront that boss with actions that he was taking that were less than honest. That boss now has dread of you because that boss knows you will not vary to the left or to the right and that you expect him not to vary to the left or to the right. When you begin to walk in righteousness, sinners will begin to have dread of you. One man said to me, Pastor, I don't witness at work. I don't need to. I'm a Christian. People can look at me and tell that I'm different. I said, how many people Have you brought to Jesus at work? None. Then, my brother, there must be not very much difference between you and them because they're not getting the gospel by looking at your life. So you either need to start living as a Christian where you work, or you need to just go ahead and be a pagan and enjoy the life because... Nobody's getting your message. You're not radical enough. You're not separate enough. Nobody knows you're a Christian. He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Now, there should be a great big period there, because this is what He planned before the creation of the world. But then it says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He did not plan for us to fall. God did not determine and cause us to fall. He knew we would, and he made plans in case we did. It says, in love. Did you catch that? God didn't just choose you, God's in love with you. He chose you and He's in love with you. In love, He predetermined that you should be adopted as His sons. Because he knew you were going to estrange yourself from him. In accordance with his pleasure and will. Why did God choose you? Why does God love you? Because he enjoys you. Can you get a hold of that? That God actually enjoys your company. He enjoys you enough that he wants to spend eternity with you. Is there anything in your life that you think needs to be changed so that God can enjoy you more? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us and the one he loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption and the forgiveness of sins are the same thing. He paid the price for our sins to be washed away. Now verse 9. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times will have reached their fulfillment. What I'm hoping you're beginning to catch now is that God is enjoying saving you. This is not a burden to him. You are not a burden to God. God is enjoying you. He loves you. He chose you. I don't know how that impacts your heart, but inside of me, I say, come on. Me? How could God love me? How could God enjoy me? My life is filled with much pain and struggle. I'm in a fight. I'm in a battle. And God is enjoying me? I did something yesterday that I haven't done for quite a while. I'm unpacking my house. I'm totally overwhelmed with boxes. I was working all day unpacking, trying to figure out the silverware will go here. This will go here. And I began to hear the spirit of God call me. First, I didn't hear him. He said, take that chair, move it over here by the window in the sun. I want to talk to you. So I did. And I just sat down with the Lord. Nobody else was around. I sat in the afternoon, late afternoon sunshine with my Bible in my hands. I just heard the Lord saying to me, I love you. I love you. Just stop working and sit still with me for a while. Now, that's something my wife would have done. But to have God do that to me. Just sit with me, Ray. Stop working. Stop doing. I said, Lord, I've been Martha all day, haven't I? you want me to just come and sit with you? Do you understand God is a person? He's not a computer in the sky. He has feelings. He enjoys you. And I have to tell you, as I sat with him on that chair, I knew his presence was filling the house. His peace was in my heart. I let go of everything that was happening. He said, now go get dressed and go out and have dinner. There's no food in the house. He said, go out and get dinner. I'll go with you. I said, Lord, thank you. To understand until Jesus becomes this real to us, there's going to be just Pain in our hearts. Yes, the battle is on. Yes, things are happening that are wicked. Yes, the economy is crashing. He can feed me manna if he chooses. God fed the children of Israel in that wilderness for 40 plus years. Manna. I would love to get up one morning and go out in my yard and find manna. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just laugh? Wouldn't you break up laughing if you went out in the yard and you saw it? And you'd say, what is it? You know, in the Hebrew, the word man, it means what is it? You'd say, what's that? And you bend down and you. What is that? There's no food in your house but there's manna on your front yard. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time would have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, verse 11, listen to this. In him we were also chosen, having been Predestined, that word predestined is literally in the Greek to be made an heir, to be on God's will. Jesus died. We received his inheritance. We became legal heirs in Jesus' death. The will has been read. You're in it. All of heaven belongs to you. In him we were chosen, having been made heirs according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You're included because you heard this word, this gospel. Having believed you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Marked with a seal. The good housekeeping seal of approval. You've been marked. You belong to Jesus. Later in chapter 4, he'll talk about, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you have been marked. You've been sealed. Don't grieve him. Having believed you were marked in him with his seal. Believed literally means to adhere to. It doesn't mean intellectual understanding. The devil has intellectual understanding. It means that you have given yourself utterly to him. You have adhered to him. You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, in the Old Testament, we have another story. We have a story of two men who are chosen to be priests. They are the sons of Aaron. Nadab and Abihu. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. It was all set up. When they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. So here is a magnificent demonstration of the power of God in front of the whole congregation. I wish today that we could somehow have the manifested presence of God that our physical eyes could apprehend. But he doesn't come that way now. Now he comes in our spirit, for God wants worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Can you apprehend the manifest presence of God in your heart right now? Can you sense his love and joy in you as you look over this past year? Do you recognize how he has kept you, how he has carried you, how he has spoken to you very clearly, giving you directions, how you have faced trials and persecutions where you may have lost your job or you may have had a sickness or you, and you watched as God rescued you in the midst of that? And some of you imagined that by your hard work you were able to go out and garner money. But if you're honest, you'll have to recognize it was God who gave you that power and it was God who opened the door so that you could be here today. Do you begin to sense this? Please, today, I'm not trying to give you intellectual information. I'm trying to give you Holy Spirit content. The Holy Spirit is a person, just as Jesus Christ is a person. We believe in one God who manifests himself in three persons. Personhood has feeling. It has thought. Has personality. The Holy Spirit's personality is different than the personality of Jesus or of the Father. Do you know God? Do you know God the Spirit? Do you know God the Son? Do you know God the Father? Do you know their personalities? Have you been taking the time to sit with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the fullness of His heart for you So that today you have a sense of trust and confidence, knowing that He loves you. Nadab and Abihu were unimpressed by the chosenness of God. They believed that their daddy was chosen, they believed that Moses was chosen. But frankly, they were not real interested in being chosen. In fact, they thought it was quite a bore. You know, God does not have grandkids. Nadab and Abihu thought they were grandkids of God. It was daddy and then God. So they thought they were God's grandkids. God doesn't have grandkids. Nadab and Abihu were responsible directly to God. Guess what? You're not going to ride my coattail into heaven. You're going to have to deal directly with God. Nadab and Abihu watch as the fire falls. There's much excitement. The people are shouting for joy. They know the presence of God is among them. Chapter 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers. You know what a censer is? On a chain, a pot, placed inside for fire. And incense would be placed in it, and the incense would come up. It was a symbolic demonstration of the prayers of God's people. And as they took their censers and put the incense in, the prayers of God's people were ascending in the holy compartment of the sanctuary. The altar of incense was just in front of the veil that separated holy and most holy compartments. And the altar of incense would have the prayers of God's people ascending in the incense before the Lord. That veil, we are told, represented Jesus Christ. Remember when the veil was rent, when he died on Calvary? The veil represented Jesus. So the prayers are ascending now. Nadab and Abihu, they get up. They don't want to be bothered to go to the altar of burnt offering and take of the fire that came from God. Instead, they take their own fire and they put their own fire in their censers. And now they come before the presence of God, putting the prayers of God's people in their own fire. And now the prayers ascend before the throne of God with strange fire. And fire comes out from God and consumes them. And they die. Let me read it for you. It's Leviticus, the 10th chapter. Leviticus, the 10th chapter. Aaron's son's. Nadab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy. In the sight of all the people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. Now let's get right to the heart. We've been chosen by God, we've been loved by God, we've been redeemed by God. Again, we've been chosen. We're not an afterthought. God planned for us. He planned for us to be holy and blameless. He will not allow us to mix our fire with our prayers. he will not allow us to bring strange fire before his throne. Our salvation is completely based on what Jesus did at the cross. He died for us. He's asking that we come in humble obedience before him and allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to flow through us you understand the church can function strictly out of flesh many churches today have met people came in they served their coffee and their donuts they came into the sanctuary they chit-chatted with everybody the pastor stood up and he cracked some jokes then he gave a little inspirational presentation as one one man said I said, how do you like your new pastor? He said, oh, we love our new pastor. He only preaches for 15 minutes and he sits down. You can do church totally out of flesh. And it's mixing the fire, the, the prayers of God's people with a fire that is common, that is unauthorized. And in the church, as we begin to come together in love, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God has poured out his heart for us, knowing that everything has been given to us, we have to be very conscious of not doing what Nadab and Abihu did. Don't come with your flesh and think that somehow you're going to mix that with the the prayers of God's people and that God will be pleased with us. Holiness does not flow out of flesh. Holiness flows out of the mighty power of God. Nadab and Abihu came in drunk that morning. Listen. Verse 8 Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. Now this was much easier under the old system because everything was physical. Everything was external. But now we come and everything is internal. Everything is in the spirit And we are told in the book of Colossians and in Galatians that we are walking not under the law, but under the spirit. The spirit is the fire of God. And so we as a church come recognizing the glorious truth that we are chosen, that we are loved, that he's poured out every gift for us. But then there comes this very stern warning to us. Don't think that you can walk out and in your flesh create your life. Our life is to be created by the fire of the Holy Spirit. We're not to be drunk on the world. Some of you this week mixed the flesh and the spirit. And the result was you were exhausted and beat up. We've come to a place where we have to recognize and distinguish between that which is holy and that which is common and not touch anything that is common. But recognize the fire of God, the Holy Spirit. We live under his authority and under his control. We live at his direction. That's why we devour this word. That's why we study and pray. That's why when we go to a work job at the Pentagon or a hospital or wherever our place of assignment is, we go there under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that we are going there not to touch anything that is wicked, but to go into that place filled with the fire and presence of God, preserving what is holy, not grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, last week we spoke about this passage in Peter. I won't turn there. In Second Peter, it says we participate in the divine nature of God by the promises of God. We are a people of the promise. The promise that God loves us the promise that God has redeemed us, the promise that we are His children, the promise that we are to be adopted as sons and daughters, the promise that we are to be the bride of Christ. We walk in those promises. And by walking in those promises, we participate in the divine nature. The divine nature is holy. It is the fire of God. So I read this passage In Ephesians. In him we were chosen according and have been predetermined or have been made heirs according to the plan of him. Verse 11, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. I sat last night in this house much larger than the townhouse I was in. I said, Lord, what in the world am I doing sitting in this great big house as a single man? This is the last place I would choose to move to. I would have chosen to sell the furniture and move into a little condo. Why am I in this big house? Because I walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. In the flesh, it seems utterly foolish. In the spirit, I know it's a place of haven and refuge. It's a place for God's people. I know God's going to do something there. See, I don't make decisions anymore according to my flesh. I don't trust my flesh. I trust the spirit of God. Are you willing to understand today that every trial, every tribulation, every difficulty that you face is simply discipline from God to shape you into the person in the spirit he wants you to be for his glory. There are no chances. There's no random stuff happening. It is predetermined according to the plan of God. He is working it out for His glory and everything is going to be for our good. Everything that happens to us, God will bring out for His glory and His grace. The only exception to that is when we bring the strange fire of our rebellion into the relationship with God And then we caused God, because of his great love for us, to redo his plan. I was driving downtown to a meeting. I didn't know where the place was located, so I had the GPS on. Three times I made the wrong turn with the GPS. And every time I made a wrong turn, immediately it reconfigured and it gave me new directions. And I arrived at my destination. God has a GPS on you. And every time you step in disobedience to God, you force God to redirect your steps that you will end up where he has chosen you to be so that you can be for the praise of his glory. You know what? I don't want to make any more wrong turns. And I know I don't need to make any more wrong turns. If I'll simply listen to the Holy Spirit and walk in obedience to Him, knowing that I am loved, I am chosen, I am enjoyed by God, and I do not want to grieve Him. Have you been grieved by someone that you love? As they have made decisions that have estranged their heart from you, I have. It's soul agony. And it is such a relief when there can be reconciliation and that person turns away from the direction they were moving. That's how it is with our father. We don't want to grieve him. We don't want to offer strange fire on the altar of God by walking in our flesh. We don't want to grieve him by not believing that he has chosen us that he has a plan, that he's working the plan out, that we can trust him. So I'm going to enjoy Thanksgiving this year. My hands are going to be lifted up all day long, praising him and worshiping him, knowing that he has my future mapped out. Every hard place, he will meet me and carry me through it, and he will use that hard place to shape me into something that he can use even more powerfully for his kingdom. I trust what God is doing in my life, and I trust what God is doing in this church. I trust what God is doing in your life. Let's pray. Lord, your word says that you will fill us with the utter fullness of yourself, Lord, I come to this Thanksgiving with great joy. Knowing that you love me and have chosen me along with my brothers and sisters. I pray now, almighty God. That this truth can sink deep into our hearts. That we could know beyond question. And not turn to strange fire not turn to the lust of the flesh or the pride of life or the love of the devil. Lord, we don't want any more missed turns. Lord Jesus, we want to walk with you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto
0: him who is able to keep you from falling and to Lord.